You're listening to a main session talk from Resound 2013. Hey guys, thanks for uh, being a part of the, the session this morning. The start of the day, bright and early here. Beautiful, cold, snowy Colorado. Um, I'm really excited this morning. If, if you didn't get the message, if you came in late, if you weren't here yesterday, um, there's been a, a few changes over this uh, weekend. We found out that our good friend Ray Hughes will not be able to be with us for a variety of reasons. Um, uh, he's back in Asheville right now. Uh, he was in a, a, a car crash last week, and he's recovering from that. Um, but it's okay, because the, the nice thing about doing a conference like this, where you're gathering so many friends and, and, and worship leaders and pastors from not only Colorado, but multiple states and all around is you got a slew of people that are just like ready to go at any moment. Just the drop of the hat, man. They're just ready to go. And uh, I'm really excited here this morning because as we were praying, God, what is your plan? What, is, what, what was your plan before we found out Ray couldn't be here? What was your plan all along? It became really clear to us um, what that was supposed to be. And I'm really excited because I get to introduce to you uh, two uh, uh, very dear friends of mine that I'm blessed and privileged to call friends, um, Tim and Lori Thornton. They're from Colorado Springs. Um, they have a wonderful ministry uh, that teaches and proclaims and announces the kingdom of God, invites uh, invites the believers into deeper sonship and to experience the sonship and, and to know God as Father. Um, but their music and their worship leading is amazing as well. And I want you guys guys to uh, join me in welcoming Tim and Lori as they, they take us through the word this morning. Can you guys help me out? That's, that's okay, we can share. Another one would be all right. What? Table? <laughs> We're used to sharing. Oh, okay. I love this. Table, Bible. Can you get us a table that doesn't wobble? Journal, wobble. <laughs> Watch this, Nick. Watch. Come on. <laughs> no, it's okay. Maybe it's the way it's sitting on the stage. How's that? Still a little. Yeah, it's okay. We can deal. I will stop doing this. <laughs> All right. We want to start by praying. And the first thing that we want to do is um, pray for Ray and just honor him. And so we're just going to do that as the Spirit leads. And then we'll probably pray again. And then we'll start talking. <laughs> so, Father, come. Holy Spirit, come. You are already here, and yet we welcome you again. We welcome you more and further, deeper. We give you access. We receive your spirit, which gives us access to your mind. We receive prayers and words that are eternal and from heaven and that establish your kingdom. Lord, we honor Ray Hughes and... We bless him. We love him. We thank you that he is 100% absolutely in your care and in your hand. Nothing can snatch him away from you. And so we bless him right now into a time of quick recovery, quick healing, deep rest. We honor him as a father in the Lord, as a, a great storyteller, a great warrior, a great hunter. 
And we welcome him in the spirit right now into a time where he can receive some of his reward. We pray that he will taste his heavenly reward as he rests and as he heals. And that you will use this time to build him up stronger and better and to love him more deeply. We thank you for him. We bless him. Amen. Lolo, this is my wife. Isn't she amazing? <laughs> I'm going to pray again just for our, our uh, time of words and teaching and scripture and meditation as we continue to worship this morning. Lord, we, just, we also say we want you. We want you now. We want you through this. We desire you. We want you to lead this time. We want you to speak not only through microphones, using our mouths, but to speak in each heart. We open the ears of our hearts. We open the eyes of our hearts to see you and to hear you this morning. We give you permission to testify in our spirits. Amen. I want to introduce you to this wildflower right here, my bride, Lori, who I love so much. The only person I know who is in full-time ministry experienced a time where the Lord told her not to read her Bible. <laughs> I, I tried to convince her to keep it under wraps. But uh, for, as in response to her only being able to enter into the Bible because of her religious upbringing to try to achieve and to try to be enough and do enough and it just wasn't opening up to her. She one time said, Lord, this just frustrates me. I don't want to do this. And he said... I didn't, un- I, I didn't understand it. Right. I was so frustrated because I, I didn't understand it at all. It was just... So he said, okay, don't until I tell you. And when she would say that, people would be like, I don't know if that's the Lord, girl. <laughs> But now, he came to her. He said, hey, it's time to start reading this again. And now, she is the person who loves the scripture more than anybody I know. She has the deepest revelation. Most of us read Deuteronomy like we floss. (laughs) This girl weeps her way through Deuteronomy. So I think you're going to enjoy what she has to say. Especially because we're going to start in Deuteronomy. <laughs> I do. I, I can't tell you how much I'm enjoying when the Holy Spirit activates the scripture. It just totally changes. It's totally true. What the Bible says, that the word of God is living and active. And we are going to give the Holy Spirit a ton of room this morning to be alive and translate his word into your hearts. His word in the presence of Jesus and his word in the scripture is just, holy cow, it's so much bigger. It's so much bigger than you think. Oh my goodness. So I'm really enjoying reading. I just kind of go where he sends me. And um, uh, for... A while now, I've been camped out in the Old Testament in all of those books, and like Tim said, just really moved. And he'll take me to one section, and then he'll take me to a section in the New Testament that quotes that old section. And all of a sudden, it'll go, oh my gosh, 
the Bible totally repeats itself. It's, it's amazing how things from the Old Covenant, things from God in the Old Testament are, are repeated in the New, and it just brings it to life, and it's, it's, uh, it's really rocking me. So anyway, um, this is... Deuteronomy 7. And I'd like you, when you are listening, to um, ask the Holy Spirit to bring to mind um, some places in the New Testament that sound very similar to this. For you are a holy people to the Lord your God. Holy, you are set apart. Right? Set apart. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his own possession out of all the people who are on the face of the earth. When my mom would put me to sleep as a little girl, actually, this wrecked me just two days ago, she used to say to me, if they lined up all of the little girls in the whole world and told me to pick one, I would pick you. Let me read this again. For you are a holy people to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his own possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. So hear the Lord saying, if they lined up all the people on the face of the earth and told me to pick one, I would pick you. I would pick you. I would pick you. The Lord did not set his love on you nor did he choose you because you were more in number than any of the peoples. He didn't choose you. He's not choosing you because of what you can do. He's not choosing you because you're bigger than everybody else. He's not choosing you because you have a greater voice or greater musical skill or you can draw a straight line. You are actually the fewest of all peoples, it adds. (laughs) You really didn't have anything to offer him. (laughs) But he chose you because he loved you. Because he loved you. And because he kept an oath which he swore to your forefathers. He chose you because he loves you. He sees you. And because he's a keeper of promises. And he keeps his promises. Thank you, Jesus. What an amazing truth. Does anybody, does that um, bring anything to mind from the New Testament? I mean, so much, right? One day I was driving in my car, sobbing, 
not because of Deuteronomy, but because my black hole of need was not being filled. <laughs> I called everybody, my love language is words of affirmation. And sometimes I think your love language might betray some of your unhealthy places where you need your black hole to be filled. <laughs> I needed people to tell me that I was awesome. I called everybody I knew. And nobody was home, and I left messages that tried to keep it together, like, Hey, it's Lolo, just wondering how you're doing. (laughs) Trying to hide my tears, and then I was really calling, just so you could please tell me that you love me. And everybody was gone, and the only person I had left was the Holy Spirit. And I cried out, and I said, Lord... I can't hear anything else except accusation. And nobody else is home to tell me that I don't have to listen to the accusation. (laughs) So can you come and tell me what you think of me? And he quoted this. But you are a chosen race. A royal priesthood. A holy nation a people for God's own possession so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. We are holy. We are set apart. Not so much for behavior. That comes later. Just to be his own possession. We are his promise to himself. We, us, are the promise that God made to himself. We were set apart to be God's own possession. What a miracle. What a miracle. I'm going to make your life really easy at this point. I'm not even kidding you. How many of you guys have a question in your heart as to what your calling is? Go ahead, raise your hands. How many of you wonder, what's my calling? What am I supposed to do with my life? I'm going to tell you what it is right now. We're going to put this question to rest. Let's all just go, okay, I'm ready. Ready? This is going to rock your world. I'm going to tell you exactly what you're made for. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God. The Lord is one. You, here comes, shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. These words which I'm commanding you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your sons and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontals on your forehead. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. You shall love 
the Lord. That's your calling. When you're busy teaching them diligently to your families, to your sons, talking about them when you sit in your house, you don't really have time for much else. Well, that's nice to know, isn't it? It's not a joke. That really will make your life tremendously, if not easy, good. And it will keep your soul single. Simple. Everybody wants a simple life, right? Everybody wishes that things were more simple. The way to a simple life isn't necessarily to move up into the mountains and get a cabin and carry your own water. It's to be single. It's to be single-minded about your love for the Lord. This is all over the scripture, you guys. You want to read that? No, just I want to get it. Your destiny is this. This is what God said when he created you. When he said, let us make man in our image and our likeness and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth. This is like a menu, surf and turf. It says, God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. How do you be fruitful? Be intimate. How do you want to be fruitful for the Lord in your life? How can you do that? Be intimate. Someone said, there are lovers and there are workers, and lovers get more done than workers do. If you want to be fruitful, be intimate. He said, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. If I asked all of you in this room what your favorite memory is, I bet each one of you would have something about intimacy in it. Something about feeling so close to someone. Whether it's a lover, a parent, a grandparent. And usually it takes place in a, in a special spot. Maybe it's in the mountains, maybe it's down at the lake. It, it's a special place that feels like a little Eden. A lot of you are thinking about this place right now. It feels good, doesn't it? It's okay to go there for a second. If I asked you all what the dreams are of your heart, it would often be to go make a place like that. Why? It's imprinted in you to be intimate and to be fruitful, to enjoy the love and the relationship with God and with the people that he gave you, and then to establish that, to take it further, to take that overflowing love and establish places where other people can enjoy it in the earth. That's what we were created for. Intimacy and then inheritance. And intimacy releases inheritance. Now you can be saved and still not live from your love relationship with the Trinity. 
It's possible to do that. It's possible to go and try to get the inheritance first and not worry so much about the intimacy. And that was the, the lie that the, our, our forefathers were tricked with in the garden. That's what we bought into. That we could have inheritance without intimacy. We're in the garden and, and the snake comes and he says, you know, you're so great. You have so much potential. God doesn't want you to be like him. You know, you can, you can get this without him. You can be like him without him. That's the lie. When people started building the, the Tower of Babel, the Lord came and he said, Oh no, they're going to be able to accomplish anything. They're building up this tower of their own kingdom and their own greatness. And he said... That's what they said. Right. They said, listen to this. Come, let us build for ourselves a city and a tower whose top will reach into heaven and let us make for ourselves a name. That's pretty independent thinking. I can be great without him. Watch what I can do. Watch what I can build for myself. I can show that I'm all right. I can be righteous on my own. It's all a matter of trying to get inheritance without intimacy. Why did God strike it down and scatter the people? Do you think he felt threatened by the tower? Do you think he felt threatened by their greatness? No, that's the trick of the thing. It's not our greatness that he's against, but he knows that when we build something great apart from him, we are building the the size of the wall between us and our lover. And in his mercy, he has to scatter it and break it down. Because he is a jealous lover, and he will not share his glory. In his mercy... He destroys the things that we hope in the most because it is love. Because he wants us to move in the way of the kingdom, which is that intimacy releases inheritance. Turn your Bibles to Luke 15. And while we're going there, realize how all over the Bible this is. Be appalled, O heavens, be utterly desolate. For my people have committed two sins. They've carved out for themselves broken cisterns that can't hold water. They've forsaken the spring. These are the two things that make heaven appalled and desolate. Because the Lord created the earth and created you, his sons and daughters, to be fruitful, to be intimate, and to establish the kingdom. And when we try to establish without intimacy, it makes heaven the most amazing, wonderful place you can imagine, appalled and desolate. Go ahead. I mean, think of it. Even before the first documented sin, right? when they confirmed their 
doubt, mistrust by eating a fruit that we were never meant to eat. We were never meant to eat that fruit that tries to put us on a throne that doesn't belong to us. We don't have the shoulders to carry that weight. That's what we talked about a little bit yesterday in our breakout session. We don't have what it takes to judge justly, to build our own thing apart from the Lord. Adam, he knew the sound of the Lord walking in the cool of the day. He was familiar with it because they walked all the time. It was a familiar sound to him. That's what we were made for, was to walk with the Lord in the cool of the day, chat, talk, spend time, name some animals, (laughs) play, toss a coconut around. You know, that's what we were made for to be his sons. And then, out of that, out of that intimacy, to carry his kingdom, to name the animals, to rule the earth, and to do it right out of our intimacy. It's like, it's like my dad, so excited that he has a son, because his name carries on, right? It's a, it's a generational thing. And we were made to carry the name of our Father and to to do amazing things. Remember, Jesus says, you're going to do even greater things than these. Nothing will be impossible for you in me. It's crazy. The Lord woke me up at like 4.15 this morning. He's showing me this. That when we ate the fruit in the garden, right? We said, we're going to be able to make our own way, make our own judgments about things, right? Go our own path because you're holding out on us and all those things came in, right? What did Jesus say his food was? To do the will and the work of his Father on the earth. That is the food we're supposed to eat. The food of Christ himself. And Jesus was the greatest model of walking out the kingdom on the earth in submission to the Father's mission. Greater things will you do because of me, because you've eaten of, the, of my food and my bread, and I bring life. I think that's just miraculous. I mean, think about it. Even in the old the covenant that he made with Abraham, I will make you exceedingly fruitful, And I will make nations of you, and kings will come forth from you. I establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant. For what purpose? To be God to you and to your descendants after you. I will be your God, and you will be my people. That was the covenant. I will be your God, and you will be my people. And he even repeats it. In Jeremiah, when there's an echo, a prophetic echo of the new covenant, 
where it says the same thing. I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, I've drawn you with loving kindness. And then skipping ahead a little bit. Behold, days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not like the covenant which I made with their fathers in the day I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant which they broke, although I was a husband to them, although I was there keeping my part of the covenant, being their God. But this is the covenant which I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and on their heart I will write it. I will be their God, and they shall be my people. They will not teach again, each man his neighbor and each man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they will all know me. From the least of them to the greatest of them, declares the Lord. They will all know me. There's nothing, nothing that we desire in our deepest, deepest hearts more than to know that God loves us. That he has chosen us as his own inheritance. We are the royal priesthood set apart for his own pleasure, his own play to establish his kingdom on the earth. You know what strikes me as Lori reads those scriptures? This is not a God who is afraid of your greatness. He's telling you where your greatness is. He's calling you to it. Just like Laura was singing earlier, my greatness is in Christ. He's calling you away from establishing your own kingdom, striving for your own inheritance apart from him. He's calling you into his greatness. He's saying, as Jesus said, you will do greater things than me. He's trying to call us into the place where our greatness can be glorious instead of destructive. He knows we have two choices. You can build your own kingdom and you will be a slave to it. Or you can seek his kingdom and he will make you a king in it. That's good. Say that again. Woo! Woo! <laughs> you can build your own kingdom. And you will become a slave to it. But if you seek his kingdom, he will make you a king in it. Now we're going to read the parable of the lost son in Luke 15. And I want us to to pay attention to the motivations of each of the two sons and the motivations of the father. What are they trying to get? What are they after? I'll probably cry while we do this. There was a man who had two sons. This is verse 11 of Luke 15. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. What does this son want? This is a slow pitch. His inheritance. Without what? 
without relationship. He wants his inheritance without intimacy. He's, he's trying to get it early. Dad's not even dead yet. You want it now? Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country, who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating. But no one gave him anything. You know what this is the proof of? I just saw this for the first time this morning. Proverbs 20, verse 21. An inheritance quickly gained at the beginning will not be blessed at the end. Oh. hey <laughs> This is not just good financial advice, although it is that. This is probably the best advice you can ever have for how you manage your heart and live your life. Don't try to get your inheritance too soon. All the things that you think that you want. If you think that you want them more than you want intimacy with the Lord, they will break you. They will ruin you. This son ended up in a distant land, far away from anybody that he loved. He lost everything that mattered to him. And he couldn't even get pig food to eat. No one would even give him that. What? Give him that scripture again. I see a lot of people. Proverbs 20, verse 21. An inheritance quickly gained at the beginning will not be blessed at the end. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. And this is probably the most tragic phrase in this whole story, maybe in this whole book. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. And in that, he decided to give away his identity. In that, he decided to give away the way that he relates to the Father. And he gave up the most important treasure of his life, his sonship. I'm no longer worthy. Make me a slave. So he got up with this ridiculous plan and went to his father. Okay, now let me ask you a question. Let's stop here. What does this son want now? I heard relationship. I don't think that's what's motivating him. What what does he say when it says he came to his senses? Let's find out what senses he came to. How many of my father's hired men have food to spare, and here I am starving to death? I don't think this son has changed yet. I think he wants what the father can give him. He still wants inheritance without intimacy. 
Because he gave up intimacy when he gave up sonship. He said, I'm not worthy to be a son. He's still trying to come and get what he wants without coming in love relationship with his father. This is like what George MacDonald said when, in unspoken sermons, he said, you are not yet a child in the kingdom. You do not care for the arms of your father. You value only the shelter of his roof. How many of us come to the father for the shelter of his roof, for the food that we need because we're starving, but not for the love of his arms? You want to walk in the way of the kingdom? You want to walk in authority and power? You want wealth? You want influence? Let me tell you where that starts. In the arms of the Father. Inheritance is released by intimacy. It's released by your sonship. There is nowhere else you can get it that it will not destroy you. Let's keep going in Luke 15. You think this is rich already, but it's just going to get a lot better. He got up and went to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. Now we get, we're going to get to see what's in the father's heart. His father saw him. and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. (laughs) The mouth that was about to give his slave's plan to get more inheritance without intimacy, what's the first thing it gets? A big, wet one. (laughs) The mouth that basically pronounced the father dead by saying, I want my share now, early. Gets a kiss. How amazing is our father's heart. When you and I just come to him saying, I want what I want. I just want to be powerful. I just want to be recognized. I just want to be rich. I just want to be famous. I just want my problems solved. What's the Father waiting to give you and I? He's waiting to run to us. He has a totally different agenda. What he wants is intimacy with you. What he wants is intimacy with me. It gets better. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. The father says nothing in regards to this ridiculous notion. This surrendered identity, I'm going to work for you and be a slave instead of being your son. The father says something to the servants instead. Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. 
Ring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate for this lost son of mine was dead and is alive again. Excuse me, for this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. How many of you feel absolutely lost in your desperate search for your inheritance? How many of you feel like you put on a good face, but this is actually just killing you? How many of us are lost and dead? Why are we lost and dead? We're trying to get inheritance without intimacy. Everything we want is in the Father who has a different agenda to celebrate together, who sees you differently, despite whatever plans you have made for yourself, whatever slave plans you might be operating in right now. The Father has no regard for them. He has an agenda. It goes like this. Kisses. The ring of his authority. Sandals for the feet of the son who wandered. Now they're feet that establish the kingdom wherever you go. A robe that covers everything you have ever done that you have to be ashamed of. Covered. You put on Christ himself when you put on the robe. You receive the Spirit who testifies of your sonship. This is the Father's agenda. Smoked meat. Dancing. Musical instruments. These are the things our Father is all about. We would do well to have those agendas as well. You see what happens? The Father says, the first thing you get is this. My son is home. He's back. He was dead. He's been restored to me. He was lost, and now he's found. And then, you get everything else. This is what Lewis was talking about when he said, aim at heaven. And you get earth thrown in. Aim at earth, and you will get neither. Oh, that's Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. Is that good dancing when you hear it from out in the field? <laughs> there is some hoedown stomping going on. So he called one of his servants and he asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father did what? Went out. When you and I refuse to go into the celebration of those who are in intimacy with God, 
those who are enjoying intimacy first, because we don't feel like we have gotten ours. We don't feel like we've gotten what we deserved. What does the Father do? He comes for you. He is a jealous lover. He comes to where you are to rescue you. To rescue you from your mindset. His father went out and pleaded with him. The father is pleading, come, be intimate, come, celebrate, come, let's be together. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you. And his heart's revealed. Just like the son who wandered to the foreign land, he had a plan to build his own kingdom, to establish his own righteousness. It doesn't matter if you do it in a foreign land or if you do it right here where everything is all nice where you look all religious and clean. If your plan is, all these years I've been slaving for you, and never disobeyed your orders, yet you never even gave me a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, he doesn't call him his brother, when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes, come home, you kill the fattened calf for him and hire a bluegrass band. (laughs) What does the older son want? He says, I've been slaving for you, I've never disobeyed you, and you never gave me what? Inheritance. Specifically, he wants a young goat. Or what he's saying is, you never even gave me a ham sandwich. So I could go out here and celebrate with who? My friends. Does he want intimacy with the Father? Does he want to have a feast and celebrate love and togetherness? No. He wants something to show his friends. Now, the Father's heart is magnificent. Verse 31, what is the first thing the Father tells him? What's the first thing the Father says? What? My son. The Father has no regard for this ridiculous plan. Father begins with intimacy. My son. He tells him who he is. This son does not know who he is. Even though he's at home, he thinks he's a slave. The father starts by giving him his identity, just like he gave the other son his identity back. He gives the son his identity first. What is his his identity? Son. An intimate word, a family word, a word of belonging. Jesus said, slaves 
can't be sure of their place in the house. But a son belongs forever. No matter how ridiculous your slave plan is, you belong in the father's house forever. George MacDonald said in unspoken sermons, let us, because he said, because we are the sons of God, let us become the sons of God. Friends, because we are the sons of God, let us become the sons of God. Let us be who we are. My son, the father said, you are always with me. And everything I have is yours. Intimacy releases inheritance. Will you take it? Will you come to the Father first? Will you come to be intimate before you're fruitful? My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours, see this? He gives him back to him. The father does not only want to give you him, he wants to give you back to each other. He wants to give me back to you. He wants to give you back to me. The person that you have the most contention with, he wants to give you back to each other. Come in. He's pleading. The meat was smoked over mesquite wood. The bluegrass band is hot. Come. Let's celebrate. He was lost and is found. The son gets a choice. As do we. Are you willing to be found? Or do you insist on building a kingdom that you will be a slave to? Are you willing to be brought into the celebration, to become a king, to belong forever in the Father's house? That's what you're entitled to. Delight yourself in the Lord. Delight yourself in the Lord. Delight yourself in the Lord. And he will give you the desires of your heart. Intimacy releases inheritance. Everything that is broken about your life, I venture, is probably broken because you are trying to get your inheritance without intimacy. Everything that is broken in my life, I know for sure is broken. Because there are places I'm not living like I have a home. I'm not living like I belong. I'm living like I'm looking for it. I'm living in a desperate search to try to get it for myself. I think we have time for me to give a short testimony about how this has played out for me personally. Um, I spent probably the first 20 years of my life uh, as an artist 
and uh, as one of the great artists said, maybe it was Picasso, all children are artists. The trick is remaining one. And uh, I remained one a pretty good amount of time. Uh, I, my earliest memories are painting, and uh, all through high school I, I was in studying under an oil painter. Um, by eighth grade, I, I had multiple art classes. I had a lot of favor in the area of art, so I, I managed to um, somehow convince the administration of my school that I needed more art classes than a student was allowed to have. And I also got my um, British literature teacher to let me do an interpretive art project for every work that we read. And so I, I didn't actually go to that class. I went to the art class instead and made things related to British literature. <laughs> and uh, and it, it, was, it was the passion of my heart. And I had five art classes out of eight my senior year. And then I would stay after school two or three hours and keep working on the projects that I was doing. And, and whatever I thought of, I tried it. it. It was a beautiful time of sonship for me. I, I didn't have very many standards I felt like I had to live up to. Half of my stuff blew up in the kiln and destroyed everybody else's pottery. And, <laughs> and I, I, I attempted things that were impossible. And this was so good. And... Uh, I went into college at CU Boulder as a fine arts major, and, and about halfway through, uh, a couple of things that were sewed into me by well-meaning people started to, to not only take root, but to sprout up and begin to bear some fruit in my heart, and it was really tragic. I started to say things like, you know, maybe I should be more practical. You know, people go, you, you know, you ought to have something to fall back on. You know, this passion is great, but... You ought, to, you ought to take care of yourself. You ought to look out for old number one. And it, all of that kind of converged in me, and, and I said it in a really responsible-sounding way, and maybe I should be more responsible. Maybe I should have something else I could rely on. That means trust in. Maybe I should start establishing my own kingdom instead of you know, making art in Jesus'. This is, this is ridiculous. <laughs> It was not ridiculous, but I started to, to buy into the lie. And in doing that, I gave my heart away. I made agreement with the kingdom of darkness to be fatherless. I said, yeah, the Lord probably won't provide for me if I just am who he made me to be. I'm probably going to have to repress that. I'm probably going to have to grow out of it. And so I laid down my greatest passion great tragedy. And I decided to be way more practical and uh, become a musician. <laughs> a missional musician. <laughs> and uh, so the funny thing was, my, my heart to be wild and express things for the Lord, it, it, w- it couldn't be fully dominated. And and I, I didn't really want to do that. But what happened was I started operating in the right things in all the wrong ways. I became the biggest slave. I became the son standing in the field. When my friends were writing songs, I'd go, yeah, but there's more important things to be done first. And I became less and less creative and more and more resentful. I became the, the guy who shouldered all of the burdens that no one else wanted to shoulder. And I... 
I said, well, I don't get to do those things. I don't have the luxury of making art because things have to be done. I was trying to find a way to validate myself because I'd made the agreement that I had to take care of myself. I was trying to find any desperate way to say, yeah, I'm looking out for number one. I'm going to be okay, guys. I didn't realize how much I had lost. I get married to this lovely woman. She Maybe she finds an old painting in the in the crawl space at some point. I talk a little bit about the glories of the old days and you know, how I'd walk the halls of my high school covered with clay, dust, and paint. <laughs> and she, she thought, man, she knew intuitively that needs to come alive, that needs to be tended to, but my heart was so dead to it, I had no way to access it. She would give me art supplies for a birthday present, and you know, they'd just kind of end up in a yard sale. I, I had no access to this part of my heart. I had no access to my inheritance. I was living as a slave. And um, there are many things I came into in the, the, the recent years that, that were a great convergence of what the Lord had for me, but this one part of my heart was just, just in a coma. So we, we're coming into the things of the kingdom. We're being well pastored. We're beginning to understand our sonship. We're walking in these things. We start you know, beginning to proclaim and teach them to great fruit. And, and life is great, but something feels missing to me. As much as I become a great worshiper, a, a great son, I, I feel this ache of this part of my life that is just, just gone. And you guys, I seriously forgot I seriously forgot what I had with the Lord and the way that my sonship expressed itself through art. And so I'd, I'd be praying and I'd be like, well, Lord, I just I really want to do something with my hands. I would see a carpenter's truck go by or a plumber you know, parked out in front of somebody's house and I'd be like, that's awesome. I want that. <laughs> They're probably like, I want to be a pastor worship leader. I'm like, I want to do something with metal and wood. I want to do something physical. I, I feel so broken in this area. And I, and I keep asking this, the Lord for strategy. Oh, Lord, what can you prosper me in? What, what can I do that would be you know, great for the market right now that you, know, you can prosper my family? Where, where can I succeed? I'm asking all the wrong questions, and you guys probably know when you ask the Lord the wrong questions, all you hear is crickets. I heard crickets on, on this matter for uh, probably four or five years, just, just feeling like, oh, what's missing? Gosh, so much is right, but this is so wrong. Crickets. What can I do? What should I do? All slave plan questions. Do you notice that? Where's my inheritance? I want it, I want it, I want it. I was having dinner with some friends after teaching some of these things. <laughs> and the conversation just turned. It was sort of oblique to what we were talking about, but it, it just fell like a drop of rain in my heart. What the right question to ask the Lord would be. And outwardly, I kept having dinner and talking with these guys, but inside, the Lord and I went to a secret place together. And I said, Father, what craft just comes from my sonship? What inheritance just comes from my intimacy with you? 
before I was done asking the question, I saw, like watching a movie of my life, my first 20 years of making art, drawing, painting, never being afraid, having an idea, and trying it. And I knew the Lord was restoring me. He was giving my heart back to me. I knew that he had come, he had advanced into the kingdom of darkness that I had rebelled and made agreement with to rescue me. And uh, I've, like you said, I've never known him to be an artist. I've known him. I've known this little thing in him that, I'd, like you said, all those things. You know that I, as a wife, just be like, "Hey, babe, why don't you go do that?" And this happened, and he's like a whole whole person and different, you know, but the same. Like he has transformed we have a little barn looking shed in the back of our house and he's just spent hours and hours transforming it into his art studio and this is super recent you guys this was like september right yeah (laughs) and he started painting and i'd go out there and watch him and he he just kind of makes more sense now detail-oriented things that weren't that detail or like weren't like the take out the trash kind of detail-oriented things like all of those things that all of the like little you know go back and then come back forward and you should see the paintings he's doing I had no idea it's amazing and when we talk sometimes and, and old issues would start coming up because I'm used to relating to the slave I'm used to I'm used to relating to him in some brokenness, but now the Lord's restored him to his his wholeness in those areas, and we have to learn a new language together, and it's been really fun because it's freed me too, because my brokenness attaches to his brokenness, right? And we build some things on that, and now his wholeness is bringing me into wholeness too, and it's awesome. And this is what intimacy with the Father does. It restores our relationships too. It restores our relationship with the Father. It restores our own lives. And it restores our relationship. Miraculous. What a miraculous healing. We're going to ask Laura and her band to come back up and make some music and for about the next 20 minutes we're just going to allow you guys to enter into a time with the Holy Spirit to let him minister to you in these areas and you can do what you need to do in this space to respond to the Lord and respond to the invitation to celebrate intimacy and to let that release your inheritance not too early so that it won't be blessed in the end but in the right time Mm-hmm. So Holy Spirit, we say, let's say this together. Stand or raise your hands if you want to. All my fountains are in you. All my fountains are in you. 
there's an anointing today to forsake the cisterns and return to the spring. Jesus said, whoever believes in me, living waters will flow from him. Holy Spirit, minister to us. Invite us to the celebration. Father, Abba, testify to us about our sonship. Reveal our slave plans. Reveal the kingdoms we are building that are walls of separation between us and our lover, between us and you. Proverbs says, what a man desires is unfailing love. Lord, we desire unfailing love more than we desire any inheritance. And we know, Father, that as your set-apart ones, as your royal priesthood, our greatest inheritance is you. That you say to us, like you said to the Levites, you shall have no inheritance in their land, nor any portion among them, nor own any portion among them. I am your portion and your inheritance among the sons of Israel. We claim, Father, your promise that you, when you say, I will give them a heart to know me, for I am the Lord, and they will be my people, and I will be their God, and they will return to me with their whole heart. Father, we do return with our whole heart. We receive you as our portion. And in you, we are satisfied. In you, we are satisfied. We are fulfilled. We have everything we need. You have promised us everything because in you is everything. And we cannot get it apart from you.
mention my heart may fail but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever but God is my strength and my portion my 
first earth had passed away. There was no longer any sea. No longer any division. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To him who is thirsty, I will give to drink without cost from the spring of the water of life. Overcomes will inherit this, and I will be his God, and he will be my son.
are our prize. You are our portion. <laughs> we thank you that we get more of you, Jesus. Establish your kingdom in our lives, God. Establish the reality of our sonship, Jesus. We love you, God.